You're listening to the Keto and Low Carb Success Podcast, Episode 77, Head and Heart Hunger. Did you know that you don't have to spend money on a diet program or weigh, measure, and track your food? What if you could learn to have success by following an easy roadmap that takes you on adventures from learning how to change your mindset so that you can believe in yourself to learning about what foods work best in your body and why. Join me, Miriam Hatoum, health coach, course creator, and author of Conquer Cravings with Keto, as I give you actionable coaching advice that is sure to empower you so that you will finally find peace with food and learn to trust your body's signals. You've got this, girl. And be sure to go to miriamhatoom.com resources to get all the free guides to help you along the way. I am in your shoes, my friends, and I wrote these guides for both of us. The link is in the show notes and transcripts. Oh, and before we start, I want to let you know that the primary purpose of this podcast and the course is to educate and does not constitute medical advice or service. And I'm keeping up with the science as fast as I can so I can share with you the latest breaking research in this area to help you achieve your dreams. We all have triggers, habits, and emotional connections with food. When we are hungry, but not really physically hungry, we know it as head hunger, heart hunger, or, which covers both, emotional hunger. In this episode, I talk about disassembling triggers and habits and give you examples of my own efforts that I have shared with you in past episodes. I have found they speak to many of you, so I'm going to share them again here. It is important to understand that triggers, habits, and emotional connections are something you can work on disassembling. It starts with understanding what they are. Triggers. A trigger could be a food itself. A trigger food is a specific food that sets off a course of overeating where control is lost. The most common trigger foods are calorie-dense, highly palatable foods that are often combinations of sugar and fat, for example, ice cream or cookies, or fat and salt, for example, nuts, potato chips, and french fries. A trigger could be a behavior. It could be something as innocent as walking past the bakery, catching a whiff of freshly baked bread, and wanting to have it whether we are hungry or not. In this case, the food itself was the trigger, and that you smelled the bread so you wanted it. But the trigger can also be the behavior of walking through or by a bakery. A trigger could involve deeper layers, such as always wanting to eat after a phone call or an argument with someone. Here was my example of disassembling a trigger. I found that when I went into a grocery store that has a bakery right at the front, my brain was totally scrambled. More often than not, I would get something from the bakery no matter how good, good is in quotation marks, I was being. Worse, I would resist that but then binge later. 
often not even knowing why I was binging. Self-sabotage at its best, my friends. I eventually went into a different entrance. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, I came in through the exit, even if that meant I had to wait for someone to leave the store so that the automatic doors would open. Now I no longer even go into that store. If I need something on special that only that store has, I send my husband or pay a few more cents somewhere else. My only way through this head hunger was to find my way out of it by not exposing myself to the trigger that caused it. Now with habits, habits can also be along the same spectrum, such as always having popcorn at the movies or wanting to avoid a dreaded activity, and you have the habit of eating so that it sidetracks you. Remember, habits are not always consciously motivated. Sometimes they are controlled by our lizard brain, meaning that we put absolutely no conscious thought into our actions at all. We just do something and either don't realize we are doing it or wonder why afterwards why we did. You are almost mystified why you ate something. You can work so hard to change a response to a trigger or change a habit altogether. But once in a while, your reaction will pop up to the surface. Don't beat yourself up over it. It happens. You're human. The trick is to at least cultivate an awareness about these things. You might be in the habit of always stopping in for fast food along a certain route. Is it a habit or is seeing the golden arches a trigger? You might still be responsive to the trigger of seeing the golden arches, so you pull in, but you can order a diet soda or coffee instead of a whole meal. And this is if you're not hungry for a whole meal. A habit that I recently disassembled is nighttime eating. I am not a person who fasts easily, but I was willing to try a 12-12 fast just to break my habit of nighttime eating. 12-12 stands for fasting 12 hours, followed by a 12-hour eating window. This does not mean I eat for 12 hours, but if I take my last bite at 7 p.m., then I don't have anything to eat until 7 a.m. the next day. Baby steps, my friends. I just don't go near the kitchen after dinner. I make two to three tall drinks with crushed ice, putting two of them in thermoses so that I have no reason to go into the kitchen for anything. My battle against that evening head hunger was not easy, but I have succeeded. And I just want to say something here, because we're trying to move out of the diet mentality. I'm not doing it because of dieting. I was doing it because I found that if I ate after dinner, I was getting some acid reflux or I didn't sleep well. But I had the habit of eating at night. So that is really the reason I broke the habit. So now on to what are emotional connections to food. You might have a simple emotional connection to a specific food. This can be what happens with a comfort food. It is enjoyable to eat, and it might make you happy as it brings back fond memories of some person or event. 
It also might not be your best food choice in the moment. You might have a deeper emotional connection to food. These are entwined with triggers and habits. This is when you turn to food when you are anxious, bored, angry, unhappy, frustrated, depressed, etc. The circumstance itself might be a trigger, or using food as avoidance and soothing might be your habit. Needing to eat for this avoidance or soothing is called head hunger also. The connection might be even deeper. Perhaps you grew up with abuse or no friends. Food became your only source of comfort, love, or entertainment. Food might have been your only friend. Food might have been the only source of love and caring from a parent. Food could have represented significant happiness in your life, such as having attention and being loved at your birthday party or enjoying friends and family at holidays. This is where your triggers and habits might have found fertile soil. This is also head hunger, but when it is deeper like this, we call it heart hunger. So anything can be on the spectrum, from the innocent smell bread want bread trigger to the not-so-innocent food is the only thing I can count on. I am not here to dissect what is going on with that and always encourage my clients and students to seek more professional help than what I am qualified to give them. But it is important to know that once you have made these associations for years, you forge neural pathways in your brain. I stress with my clients over and over again, they are not broken. In fact, everything is working brilliantly. Please see the bonus guide, The Brilliance of Chocolate Cake, to learn more about this. The link is in the show notes, and really, it's just miriamhatoom.com slash resources. Now, how can you disassemble a trigger? If every time you finish a meeting with your boss, which usually doesn't go well, you head straight for the vending machine, do this instead. Find a quiet place to close your eyes and breathe slowly for two or three minutes, even if you have to head straight to the ladies' room to do it. Then, go to the vending machine if you still feel you must. Then eat half of whatever treat you bought. Breathe another two or three minutes. Don't stew and rehash the meeting. Your brain cannot do two things at once. Just listen to your breath and count. Then, if you must, eat the other half of your treat. Over time, you might have the same trigger, but your response to it will change. Do this tiny step method whenever you realize you are reaching for food in response to something that has happened to you and not because you are hungry. And how can you disassemble a habit? Disassembling a habit works much the same way. Let's go back to the golden arches example. You can absolutely change your food order to something better for you than what you usually get. You can even drive by and tell yourself, not today, but, and I speak wholly from personal experience here, that tends to come out sideways. That means you might binge later but not even knowing why. 
or order more the next time you stop because after all, you were good the other day. How you disassemble this particular habit is to go down a different street. Out of sight, out of mind is really true. A good place to start is to work on replacing the habit. With the golden arches habit, this could be replacing your route with one that does not go by a trigger location. Or it could be still going through the drive through but getting something less damaging, such as a beverage. And how can you disassemble a connection? Disassembling a connection may be a little harder than disassembling triggers and habits. Your first step is awareness, which is really the hardest part. When you say to someone, I don't want to talk about it, then bingo. That's exactly what you need to face and talk about. Sometimes you might need professional help to unearth the connections because you aren't even aware they are there. You might need help to find out why you have the connections. Sometimes journaling will do that for you, but then you might need professional help to face the core issues and to help you dig at and expose those roots please visit my blog on Emotional Eaters where you will see reference to therapy. The link is in the show notes and transcript. Just as with triggers and habits, connections can be on a spectrum as well. Some issues may require professional help, but sometimes it is just a light bulb moment. An example might be, Oh, I never realized that when I am craving ice cream, it always happens when I'm anxious. Next time I'm craving ice cream, I will see if I really want it. I know that's an oversimplification, but not everything is deep and dark and shrouded in sadness and abuse. Sometimes it is just that a certain food might soothe you, and once you are aware of it, you can work to break that connection. Now I'm going to read to you Autobiography in Five Chapters by Portia Nelson. And I've done this before, but I think this might be the single most important thing that you will ever read or listen to that will help you see my point about how to disassemble triggers and habits. I would even suggest that you print this out and put it in a frame in your kitchen. Chapter 1 I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it still isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3 I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. 
I walked down another street. Is that perfect or wash? What mistakes do we make and why? The biggest mistake that we make is not learning about and acknowledging our physical hunger. If you do not know what physical hunger feels like in your body, how will you know if the hunger is not physical? Another mistake is that we tend to be reactionary. This could mean something as simple as see cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. Oftentimes, it is no more than that, but we don't realize the impulse there. We don't parse it out and take the time to ask ourselves, first, do we really even want the cookie? Okay, we want it, but it is just a reaction to seeing it. Second, are we even physically hungry? Sometimes the reaction is deeper. We run to food for distraction. Are we lonely and don't want to think about it? Are we tired and don't want to rest? We are angry and we don't want to process it. Or are we bored and want to do something? Whatever the reason we are running to the food, it's all in our heads and our hearts. Go back to the episodes where I talk about mindfulness and see how to put a pause between the reaching for the food and the eating of the food. If you have not gone beyond just thinking about food, that's where to put the pause before you reach for the food. The cost of not putting in that pause is that you will never give yourself the opportunity to break the cycle of your head hunger, heart hunger, and habit hunger. Honestly, if you could just do that, it would eliminate so much overeating and you would automatically start to release your extra weight without being on the search for the latest and greatest diet program promises. The cost of not putting in that pause means that you will never find peace with food, which is what I think most of us want. Not even weight loss and not even better health. We just want peace. And here is a new way to handle triggers, habits, urges, cravings, and emotional connections. The very first thing I want you to do is to not berate yourself the next time this happens. It is normal. It is to be expected. The cravings and urges will hardly ever disappear. The triggers will always be there. Connections, habits, and triggers will always be with you in your heart and your head. The moment you notice any head, habit, or heart hunger, stop. Even mid-bite, even as your hand is going into the chip bag for the third time, say to yourself, "Oh." Take a breath, put the food down if you are holding it, and say, Good job, I noticed it. Awareness is the very first step. If you catch yourself before you have started eating, set a timer for even just five minutes. Breathe, walk away from the food situation if you can. If the pull is too strong or the food is already gone, I want you to say, Good job. I noticed it. That's all. Take away the berating, the self-hate, the chiding, or the despair. It's only food, my friend. 
I think I've told you before that I have a picture of myself from over 30 years ago when my life was overwhelming. Not necessarily sad, but it was a time in my life when self-care was at a minimum and I was frantically trying to diet, but instead was gaining weight. I keep that picture on my bureau. I look at it often and I say, Miriam, thank you. It could have been drugs or alcohol or abusing my children. It was only food. Thank you. I love you. This week's actionable coaching advice. Go to miriamhatoum.com slash resources and download the brilliance of chocolate cake. Do the Why I Want Sugar worksheet. Reflect on your answers to these questions. What are three things that I've noticed for myself about the physical pull of foods with sugar? What are some of my habits paired with eating when I am not hungry? Sweets in particular. What are three things I've noticed about myself when I turn to food as an emotional component? Read through the rest of the booklet very carefully. And if you keep a journal, write about how you are not stuck and that you just have not broken the cycle of the feel-good chemicals in your brain. Go to the transcript and read, or listen again, to Autobiography in Five Chapters by Portia Nelson. Journal, or at least think, about what lesson you can take from this in your own life. Next week, I will explore urges and cravings. By now, I am sure most of you have heard my peep story, but if you haven't, be sure not to skip ahead those first 30 seconds. It sets the stage for explaining the difference between urges and cravings. And remember that plate of Weight Watchers liver and onions I talked about in the Finding Satisfaction episode? Well, I do like chopped liver. So there's a story about that too. As a matter of fact, there is a recipe for it at miriamhatoum.com slash blog. I'll put it in the show notes and transcript. If you are enjoying this podcast, I do have a favor to ask of you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps other people find it by bringing it up in various directories. Also, don't be a stranger. Like or join my Facebook page, Breaking Free from Diet Prison, and let me know if there is anything you would like to hear on the show, and let me know you are a podcast listener. Please share the podcast with your friends, let them know we are on an intuitive eating journey, and invite them to tune in with you and learn how to become free from diet prison. Until then, Go live free from diet worry, and I'll see you back here next time.